0: We're going to pass the buckets, if you could do that, gentlemen, and then we'll take up our offering. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I want to look at verses 1 down to verse 16 with you. Anytime that we gather as a church, we need to exalt Jesus Christ. He is the one that we focus in on. Sometimes it's uh, easy to look at our circumstances, and even as a church, uh, to look at our circumstances and, and get allow anxiety to come into our heart, and that's not what we want to do be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I've battled with anxiety for since I was a little boy. Is there anybody here that would say, yeah, that, I've battled with anxiety in my life. Anybody? Yes, yes, yes. Some of you, I did not know that you battled with anxiety. My heart goes out to you, so we're not going to be anxious for anything. Ephesians chapter 4. Anytime that I'm going through a particularly difficult season, what I will do is turn to some of the greats. And what I mean by that are some of the men and women that have gone before me in the Christian life that have gone through difficult seasons in their own world. One of those is Jonathan Edwards, and I have quoted Jonathan Edwards uh, a few times here. Some of you might think that I'm quoting him every week. He's one of my heroes, and so God led me to read his biography by Ian Murray uh, several years ago. And then after that, uh, I picked it up once again and just been studying his life. Well, anyway, Stephen Lawson is uh, someone that is a great Bible teacher, if you're not familiar with that name. He wrote a book on Jonathan Edwards' life. And the title of this little book is The Unwavering Resolve of Jonathan Edwards. So I picked it up and I've been looking through it. And if, I don't know if you'll be able to see it from back there, but when I look at a book, I study it and I use a highlighter. So when I go to Staples, I go to Staples with, just glee in my eyes because I am like a kid in a candy store. I am like a kid going to Toys R Us. When you send me to Staples for highlighters, I just light up. I love it. So I highlight everything and I mark everything. So I've been going through this book recently just to gain some encouragement and some perspective. It's important for us to get that. So I want to read just a little bit from Stephen Lawson's book on Jonathan Edwards, The Unwavering Resolve, because we're talking about being resolved or resolute or determined to live like a disciple of Christ so here's what is said about jonathan edwards and i'm quoting as an 18 and 19 year old man in 1722 and 1723 edwards wrote 70 purpose statements for his life known as his resolutions although he had been a christian for only a year edwards knew that he must discipline himself for daily growth and holiness As a result, with steely determination, the young Puritan minister wrote and worked hard to keep those 70 vows. Here is the key to his spiritual growth. Edwards disciplined himself for the purpose of godliness. He understood that growth in holiness is not a one-time act, but a lifelong pursuit, one that requires, here it is, daily determination to live according to the truths taught in Scripture. In accordance with his resolutions, Edwards consecrated himself in all things in order to glorify God and gain the incorruptible crown. We're talking about resolute. It's the study in Ephesians. So I want you to turn in your Bibles Ephesians chapter 4 because I think we need to get to the text. And I think it's important and so relevant to where we're at as the church. You're going to see why. Did anybody get a chance to read this ahead of time? Because I mentioned it in Harvest News. Did anybody read it ahead of time, a few of us? Well, when we get to our family chat, you're going to see even more why this is such an important passage. I'm going to read it out loud if you would follow with your own eyes. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord or for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come and attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's the text. Ephesians chapter four, verses one to 16. This is the theme of the verses, unity. It is unity. It is Christians dwelling together in unity. And he knows that the Ephesian church is gonna struggle with this, and every church since then has struggled with issues of unity. I've titled this section that we're gonna look at, What Stops the Growth? What Stops the Growth? Why do Christians grow and then they stop? Why do churches grow and then they stop? Well, it's in the text. We're going to find out what that is. Harvest Reading was growing numerically, and we reached 200 people by our first year anniversary. Now, obviously, when you look around, we're not 200 people. And so that is the big elephant in the room for several months. Where have all the people gone? And so we were at 200, and that was a phenomenal thing. In fact, it was a miraculous thing uh, for a church to grow that quickly. And so it was, uh, it was spoken about, honestly, uh, around in a very positive way when people found out what was going on at Harvest Reading. And it was just, it was known to be a miracle of God because churches just don't grow as fast as we were uh, for the first two years. We were at about 100 people per year. And so if you wanted a reference point numerically, and numbers aren't the only thing, but numbers are a gauge because if they weren't, you wouldn't have been looking around the room and wondering what's going on? What? Why are the numbers dropping? So they are a gauge, but they're not the only gauge of church health and growth because Jesus's ministry lost a lot of people and also Paul's ministry, and it's just everywhere in scripture. So you don't want to put too much stock in numbers, but you do want to look at it. So obviously we're not 200 people. We're probably down to about 120, and uh, it's just been a crazy ride. It's been a crazy, crazy journey. It's been a God journey, Uh, and then in my opinion, uh, the enemy got in and and did some, some works and that's what he does. He gets into churches and tries to destroy churches, and that's his objective. He wants to destroy your life, so if you're struggling with some kind of an addiction or some kind of a stronghold, that his objective is to kill you. His objective is to take you out. He is a sniper. And so whatever your battle may be, it might even be depression. I know that I have battled with depression periodically, and some would say, well, that's physiological, or it's organic, and certainly it's part of it, but it's also spiritual warfare. It's also the demons coming after you, and it's also the devil who wants to take you out. So church is our target. Harvest Reading is a target. It's been a target since the very beginning. When Lisa and I landed here, uh, we immediately knew that this would be a battleground, that this would be a hard place to minister in for various reasons. It didn't take us long to look around and get to know some people and connect. We connected with, I don't know, maybe 250 people in the first two years. Not all of those people came to launch. Not all of those people came and stayed with us when we built the 200. But we met a lot of people and we talked to a lot of people. And uh, much of the response that I got from people was this area is under demonic stronghold. Uh, that's coming from Christians that have been Christians a long time and not from people on the outside, like I'm from the outside. It was coming from people on the inside of Berks County. And so when I did my studies of Reading in Berks County then, and I studied a lot. Uh, I was given a great series of books by Paul Jablisco uh, that I have studied all of those about Reading because I was fierce. I would travel up onto Mount Penn, and I would pray over the, the city, and I would ask the Lord for eyes to see what is going on in this region. And it was confirmed by the Christians. See, I want confirmation. You don't want to just do something on your own, because it could be delusional, it could be a pro, you know, projecting onto somebody or something. You don't want to do that. So you're looking for confirmations from people that you trust. And so that's what I did. I turned to some Christians on the outside of Harvest Reading as well as on the inside. This is a, a place under severe attack of demonic strongholds. Uh, and so that was very concerning to my wife and I. And, but it's not a battle that we don't want to fight. Uh, we're familiar with all of that. So anyway, I'm saying all of that to say this. The church is under attack. Not just our church, but the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church. And the churches that come under attack are the ones that the devil is most threatened by. So if you want to rise up to be a Christian that is above ordinary and move into the extraordinary, then you're going to be a threat. And I know that for a fact because I've talked to many of you, and you said to me, the more I wanted to consecrate my life to Jesus Christ, the more I laid down my life and exalted him as Lord, the more attack I came under, and that's just normal. That's normal. That's why a lot of Christians push back, and they don't want to keep going with Jesus because once they see the attack, then they start to to flee And instead of calling the devil to flee like you should, you flee. Christians flee. And they go AWOL. So my encouragement has been since the beginning, fight the good fight. Fight it. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. So here's where we're at. We're in Ephesians chapter four. The issue is unity because Paul knows that the devil wants to get in and divide the church. Now, how many times in your marriage have you ever had something come over you and you're like, what is going on here? Why am I arguing so much? Why am I fighting so much? Has any married couple ever had that experience before? Let's raise hands on this, right? So what is that? You're saying, well, that's because my husband needs to get his act together. I got a loser husband. I want to trade him in for somebody better. Well, there's more going on there. So through the years, my wife and I have gotten in battles We've gotten in in skirmishes and things like that. But you gotta look past all of that. You gotta look into the demonic realm. You gotta look into the supernatural and know that the enemy is wanting to divide you. This is what he was doing to Adam and Eve in the garden. Has God said? What is he trying to do there to Adam and Eve? Separate them from God and fellowship with God. He's trying to bring division. So anytime you see division in a church or in somebody's life, you know it's demonic. Are you with me on that? Only half of you, I'm concerned about the other half. (laughs) Seriously. Because I want you to get eyes to see and ears to hear. Because what's going on at Harvest Reading is ultimately demonic. It's ultimately demonic. It doesn't mean we don't take responsibility for flesh and all that other kind of stuff. But ultimately, the enemy wants to divide and conquer. And so if you're on the verge of a divorce, you're feeling like running, you just want to hit the hills, it's demonic, ultimately. So Paul knows this. He's in prison in Rome, and he is is a resolute man. I love the Apostle Paul. Can't wait to have a conversation with him someday. I think he's one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Some would say he is the greatest Christian. Of course, Jesus said John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived. But, you know, you have your favorites, right? John the Baptist, yeah, I would like to meet him someday. But there's Paul, and there's something about Paul that resonates. So anyway, his heart is concerned about the church that he was pastoring for three years. And I just resonate, why? Because I've been here three years. So I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, okay, I've been here three years. Paul's been here three years. I'm not in prison, like he is in Rome, for the gospel. But I I can understand what he's, he's feeling, Here's a verse on the scripture on, about unity, if you could throw that up there, please. It says this in Psalm 33.1. Psalm 33.1, behold, how good and how pleasant it is when what? Brothers dwell together in unity. That's just not brothers, but that means sisters too. It's just a generic term. So let's get into the text. I want to show you some principles that I think are there. Why does the growth stop? Why does the growth stop in your life? What is, why is it that you're growing now and you weren't growing a year ago? And I've had testimony after testimony that you're different people. What's the, what's, how would that happen? What's going on in your world? What would stop you from growing? What stops this church from growing? Why is it that our numbers are a third of what they once were? Here's some of the reasons. It's a unity issue. It's a unity. Unity among the leaders, and we've been divided. We'll talk more about that family chat. And unity among Christians Here's number one. Why does the growth stop when we lose our determination? Remember, we're resolute, Paul says. We're resolute. Jonathan Edwards, we're resolute. I am determined to live the 70 resolutions, Jonathan Edwards say. And he was 19 when he started that. I'm 54. You can say whatever age you you are, but man, at 19 years old, I wasn't thinking resolute, determined to live like a disciple. Paul is talking about that in this book. We lose our determination to promote, pursue, protect unity. So, if you're in a battle right now and the enemy's dividing you, what are you doing about it? I'm not asking you if your husband or your wife is going to go to counseling. I'm saying, what are you doing about it? You've got to be determined. I mean, are there times in my marriage I'm telling you it would be like, you know, this woman you've given me, Lord. And then the Lord would say, no, it's your fault. It's your fault. And then I had a choice. Am I going to be determined to maintain unity in my marriage? So there was a lot of humbling that had to happen, a lot of confession, a lot of repentance that needed to go on. Please do that. Because if we don't maintain unity in the bond of peace, we're going to destroy the body of Christ. And this body is being destroyed. I'm just being honest with you because you already know the elephant is in the room. So I can see it in your face. And I've heard it in your your voice. So what is the determination? Let's talk a little bit about what Paul is going through here in verses 1 down to verse 6. Here's where he transitions from doctrine to duty, from precept to practice. First three chapters are doctrinal in nature. Now he wants to transition in chapter 4 and say, listen, man, we got to follow It's no good that I give you doctrine, but if you're not disciplined enough to follow what I said, it's not gonna matter. Paul's saying, if I give you the great academics of the faith, election, redemption, and inheritance, and Jew and Gentile being reconciled in the power of the gospel, if I give you the academics, but you do not apply what I'm saying, it's not gonna do anything. So that's why this pulpit has always had to focus on application. But application infuriates people because then you're challenging them to repentance. You're challenging them to change their life. This is Paul. Paul is very much an applicational man. So he transitions here from chapter 3 to chapter 4, and he goes from learning to living. He goes from revelation to real life. Notice this picture on the screen here. This is where Paul was. Now, he's, this person who took this is obviously on a mountaintop looking down into the village. And so that's, that's election. <laughs> Chapter one, Paul's on a mountain. And he's like, this is fantastic. God chose me from before the foundation of the world. Man, he redeemed me by the blood of Christ. He gave me an inheritance. He sealed me by the spirit of God. He's on a mountain Then he moves into these illustrations about original sin in chapter two and how he raised us from death to life, which was phenomenal. Then he talks about the Jew-Gentile reconciliation that was really a picture of the power of the gospel because Jew and Gentile would never come together. Then he says there's a mystery and it's the church and we're part of that mystery and it's been revealed to us so that we would tell the world that this is what God has done. So then he gets to chapter four, and what does he have to do? He has to come down, if you could put that back up there. He has to come down off of the mountain, and he goes down into real life. You can't live on the mountain all the time. Some of you wanna stay on the mountain. Some of you think, "Well, wow, this is great. I just wanna be on the mountain. God is downloading all this revelation. No, you can't stay there. Because you have to get into real life. You have to go down into the mountain, into ordinary living, and then apply the things that you learned up on the mountaintop. That's where he's going from chapter three to chapter four. So don't stay on the mountain forever. You can't do that. Moses didn't do that. He got the revelation of God, and where did he go? Down. And he went down to the people to do real life and try to apply it. And what did he find down there? The children of Israel or what? Just awful. They were in an awful place. Anytime you're you're taken to the mountain, you're gonna get revelation. You're gonna experience God like nobody's business. And then you're gonna say, I don't wanna ever leave this place. And God's gonna say, no, go down into the real life where you live every day. So if the gospel can't come into your home and change your home, then, you know, it doesn't really matter how much knowledge that you've put into your head through all of your Bible studies through the years. Does not matter, Paul said. But we think it does. So he's transitioning here. Notice the first words there. He said, I therefore, this is, the, this is how we know he's transitioning. He says, I therefore, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Paul's determined. He wouldn't be determined if he wasn't saying these words because he's in prison for the gospel. And nobody goes to prison for the gospel unless you're resolute. If you were persecuted for the faith and the, whoever was persecuting you said, you're going to prison and you might die there. You're either gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna be resolute, determined to follow Christ no matter what, or you're gonna turn away. Paul obviously said, Jesus is my everything. So he's determined We know that, just based on this phrase. I, a prisoner of the Lord. He's reinforcing his situation from Rome to the Ephesian Christians and saying, you know what, I'm taking a stance for Christ. Now watch what he does. He says, I urge you. Watch this. There's an urgency in Paul from Rome to the Ephesian church, and why the urgency? Why is there urgency in the sound of my voice? Because I know what he's talking about here. And you guys know what he's talking about. He goes on. Look at verse three. Here's the urgency. Here's why he's resolute or determined. He says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I don't know if Christians are that eager. I'm pretty sure they're not, they're not, because the, the church in America is so divided, so divided, that they're not even listening to what Paul's saying here. Are you the kind of Christian that does everything in your power to reconcile, to make it right, to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace I figured I'd try to lighten it up a little bit because it's a little heavy in here right now, right? Can you feel it? If you want to lighten up any party or any, any harvest group, play this game. It's called Telestrations. Has anybody ever played this before? This is like one of the greatest games ever. And so we played this at our harvest group, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago or so. It was fun. Where's my harvest group? Raise your hand for my harvest group. Wasn't it fun to play this? It was just we laughed a lot, we blushed a lot. So this is a game like telephone. So you say something to the next person in telephone, and then they say it to the next person. It gets all the way down the line, and what happens by the time it gets to the last person? Is it the original message that was sent? No, you got got all kinds of disunity. Nobody's unified by the time it gets to the end of that. Well, this is similar to that. You write a letter or a, a word or phrase, and then you have to draw it. And then the next person has to guess your drawing, And then the next person, it just keeps being passed around by the time you're at the end. It's hilarious. I've never laughed so hard probably in all my life when we're, other than playing telestrations. Isn't that true if you played it? (laughs) Right? Listen, it's not such a laughing matter. When we say things about another person that's not true, and it gets passed from one person to the next, because usually unity is broken down through communication. And by the time it gets to the very end of where it was going, it's not even the original message. And you're like, what, did, what happened there? I never said that. I remember years ago, there was something being passed around about my wife and I, that we were driving a black Lexus, and pastors should not drive a black Lexus. I was like, black Lexus, I don't have a black Lexus. I have a used Honda Accord that has 120,000 miles on it. That wasn't funny to my wife and I, but that happens in the church and it happens to pastors all the time. I guess I can laugh at it now. It's like, man, can you believe that? And if I had a black Lexus, it wouldn't be a big deal. Unity is being broken down in the Ephesian church. Something's happening. Because when you get to Revelations chapter two, you see that they have lost their first love. So when you have disunity, you have a breakdown in the love of Christ. So when everything goes wrong in unity, it's because everything is going wrong inside of the person's life in the area of Jesus in them. So Paul's laying this out. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. If you're not determined, please hear me on this. Hear, hear the Lord, not me. Hear the Lord. If you're not determined to maintain the unity of the, of, the, of the Spirit and the bond of peace, then you are not walking worthy of the gospel. Is that a hard word or what? That's not my word. So if you're divisive and somebody's divisive in your world, they're, they're not walking worthy of the Christian calling. So Paul's beside himself. He's upset, he's passionate, he's direct because he knows Satan the slanderer comes in and he wants to divide the church and he wants demons to come in and do his, their bidding on people and churches specifically. And so he's saying, we need to be determined. We need to be determined. Now, what stops the growth? Here it is, people in the church that don't try to maintain unity. They run, they leave. They ignore it. They reject it. They rationalize it. Division is allowed to do its horrible, horrible work. So what happened? Well, there's no humility. Verse two, Paul says there's need to be humility in all of this. So if there's no humility, if there's division, there's no humility. And there's no humility, there's what? There's pride. Pride is in all of that somewhere. He says, too, that there is to be gentleness. You'll see it there as we move down through the verses. There's no gentleness. What's that? There's unkindness. Have you ever been treated unkindly? The church is one of the most unkind places I have ever been. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever been mistreated by a Christian? have you ever been treated better by a non-Christian? Seriously, what is going on there? That's ridiculous. So there's no humility. There needs to be kindness. And and then he also mentions patience. So when we're not patient with people, we become judges of people because they're not reaching your expectations. And man, we cannot be judgmental towards each other. This is why there's no unity. Now he moves through the text. I want you to see this, because we're, we're, I'm taking a little bit too much time here because we have a family chat that's gonna happen afterwards. So let me try to fly through this a little bit more. So stay with me. I think it's important. Verses four to six. He starts talking about the oneness of the body of Christ. He talks about one body, Everybody has a body. We're familiar with our bodies. The church is a body. Everybody every body or church has a part. Every part plays its role and its function. I mean, when I came in here today, my legs came with me. I mean, that would be kind of creepy if my legs decided not to come with me. I'd be getting, like, hobbling in here like a weeble. You know, it's like, because every part is important. We're, we're one body. Now, you gotta remember, he's talking into a pagan culture. He's talking into the city of Ephesus, that culture, where there's pantheism, where all is God. Not just the temple of Diana, but they had so many gods. There was so much division in in Ephesus in that culture that he's trying to get the Ephesian Christians to realize, no, there's only one body. Hey, listen, hold on to kingdom mentality because GT is part of the kingdom, right? And High Point, I don't know the rest of the Bible chapel, I think they're called, they're part of the kingdom, We're one body. This is what he's saying here. We're one spirit. Look at it. We're one spirit. Holy spirit. In other words, if the Holy Spirit's in me and the Holy Spirit's in you, there should be unity. If it's not, there's something malfunctioning, flesh or, or whatever, demonic things. And There's one hope. I love this one. There's one Lord. There's no other name given among men, under heaven, given among men, where we must be saved. You know why Paul had to say that to them? Because there were many gods and many lords. And he's saying, no, that's just going to lead to disunity. That's not God. There's only one Lord, and it's Jesus. There's one faith. I'm still going through this list of oneness that Paul is talking about. Notice this, one baptism. What is that talking about? Well, when you were baptized, you were baptized into the church. You were identified with Christ, but not just Christ, with a people So when you're baptized in water, it's not just getting wet, it's getting out of that tub or tank. Then you're connected to a body, a church. That's how important baptism is. So if you're a Christian, you've never been baptized. You are saying, I'm not identifying myself with the church. Therefore, therefore you're dividing yourself away from the body. Paul says you can't do that. And so when they got baptized, it was fierce, man. They would get in the waters, the rivers, the, the lakes, the ponds, and stuff like that, and they would have to, at the, la- at the top of their voice, have to say, Jesus Christ, I confess him as Lord and Savior. If you didn't do that, they didn't accept you into the body. Now, why did they do that? Because they wanted to know if you're real. Because if you did that publicly, you could be executed, not here, We just get wet, we have a little party after our baptism, a little cake, you know, stuff like that to celebrate. We've lost the whole meaning of baptism. There's only one baptism. And it signifies unity. And then there's one God. Obviously, I just said they're pantheistic. All is God. They're also polytheistic. You know, it's just, it was a mess in Ephesus. So what's going on here? The unified is being addressed, and Paul says you gotta be determined. Be determined, if you're not determined, you're, you're not gonna be growing anymore. And when you lose that determination, then it, it's, it's, it's all over, it's all over. Here's what you're doing if you're uh, not into unity building. You're a dissenter, and you're a divider, and you're a troubler, is what the Bible would say. When we're we're not striving and determined for unity, we are hurting the body of Christ. That's like Jesus and you. Suppose you were at Palestine in the days of Jesus, and he comes walking up to you, and you're face to face with him, and all of a sudden you, you take your foot and you right into his knee and bust his knee. I mean, would you do something like that? When we're dissenters and we're not determined to maintain the unity... It's like us going up to Jesus's body and kicking it and hurting it. And he says something like that in Corinthians 2 when we sin. We're sinning against the body of Christ. We're hurting it. We hurt Jesus. So we're breaking the body of Christ. Let me look at number two with you. Here's why growth stops. When we lose our diversity. Verses seven to 10, Paul talks about the giving of gifts. I mean, it's a wonderful section of scripture. I'm not gonna go down word by word. But there's differing gifts that have been given from God for his church to build up the body of Christ. He doesn't want us in uniformity, but unity. Not uniformity. No, man, if, if, if somebody's asking you to look the same, sound the same, dress the same, you gotta get away from that group. Get away from that leader. You're talking about a cult or some kind of a weird schism. We're not talking about uniformity, we're talking about unity. And Paul's trying to open up that there is diversity in the body of Christ. There, there's differences. There's different denominations, which I think is a result of the fall, to be quite honest with you, but it is what it is because we're in this flesh. There's differences in diversity and style. There's differences in preference. You know how many battles happen over preferences in churches? Scott would know that in the worship wars. Oh, it's not of him, it's not really of God. And there's just weird stuff going on that divides the body of Christ, that's hurting the body of Christ. There's all kinds of diversity in the body of Christ. But here's what it is. People want their safety, they want their comfort zones, they want what's familiar. And when you introduce change to them, unity breaks down. People can't accept the fact that there's differences, that there's different ways of looking at something. Or, you know, I've mentioned the charismatics. I've mentioned the charismatics. I've played in their yard. I left my yard and I went over to the charismatic Pentecostal yard and I started playing with them. You know what I found? Man, they, they play real well. I found that they're Christians, actually. I found that they're born again and they have more of the Holy Spirit than I had. You're saying, wait a minute, theologically, you get all the Holy Spirit at conversion. In some ways. But they have something that I didn't have, and that is this baptism of the Spirit. So I've mentioned the charismatics and playing in their yard, and now I'm hearing words that Chris is charismatic. I've heard that. Oh, no, Chris is charismatic. And I just chuckled. It didn't make me mad or anything. I'm just like, all right, if that's what you want to call me but that's not the only camp. That's not the only yard I've ever played in. I've played in the Presbyterian yard and I've been the Methodist and I've been all over the place. You know what I found out? That there's diversity in the body of Christ. There's Christians. (laughs) There's Christians over there. When I first met Lisa, and this is no slam to Lisa at all. When I first met her, you know she came from a church background that thought only Baptists were going to heaven. I was like, what? I was like, you gotta be kidding me. That was just bizarre. That's craziness. That is divisiveness. When you think that you're a Baptist and and only you have the whole truth. I know some of you are from that background and some of you came out of that background mad and I had to do some counseling to try to talk you through some stuff because you're kind of decompressing out of all that. That's natural. My wife came out of that and she was like, I can't believe they taught me that stuff. So if you're in that place, it's not a bad place. You're just going to keep moving away from that. Listen, there's diversity in the body of Christ. And if you know a Pentecostal and you know somebody that's a, I don't know, a high church Presbyterian, I don't know if there's any Presbyterians in Ber- Berks County or uh, Reading. I don't know. Is there a Presbyterian church in Ber- Reading? I don't even know. Is there? Get to know them. Anytime you introduce diversity, anytime you say that this is, this is what Jesus did, he sent these gifts, there's multiple gifts, and everybody has some of those, and then he's really saying that we need to be open. We need to be teachable and receptive, and we need to embrace all of that. In other words, we need to be okay with change. Now, how many times have I ever said from this pulpit in three years that, I mean, I've challenged the whole change thing, right? Because change equals growth. If If you want to grow, you got to change. You cannot stay the same person you're gonna have to change. You're gonna have to embrace change. I remember a family when I first got here. It was must pray the first three weeks I was here. No, first two weeks I was here. And they said to me, well, we're Berks County and we don't change. Okay. That means you're not gonna grow. It's not gonna happen for you. I didn't say this to them. I was thinking that. I wouldn't be that mean, that direct. But I'm thinking to myself, oh no. Because to grow a church, you gotta Change. Do you see how crazy it was that we got to 200? That's God in Berks County. That's the Lord. The Lord was doing that. I remember a friend of mine many years ago. He's an older man. And uh, he would go to work. He worked at this plant for 30 years. And his lunch was a bologna sandwich and Twinkie every day for 30 years. I couldn't believe that. I mean, it was just like, What? Seriously? Wow, he really likes baloney sandwiches and Twinkies. Or he wants what's familiar. He wants to hold on to a comfort zone. And he can't move out of that. It just was a little concerning for me. So there's diversity in the body of Christ. And here's where Paul's going. Grace was given, he says. Grace was given. Do you give grace? God is a gracious God. He's given grace to us in the gifts. There's diversity. There's different giftings, and so Paul talks about that. Oh, the division that's in the church. Oh, the the lack of unity. Well, here's where Paul goes through the text there. We're in point number two, and I said I'd go faster, and I'm not doing it, so forgive me for that. Let's see if we can do this. Jesus came near to us. He talks about this coming to earth, rising up. Some say that he went to hell, you know, in that interpretation. I don't believe he went to hell. I don't think he was in hell for a while. I don't think he was going in there and getting all those people out of there. I think it's talking about him coming to earth, the incarnation of Christ. Now, that's a debatable thing. You might have a different interpretation. That's fine. Hey, listen, don't leave the church because you differ on that. I wouldn't say that's one that you separate on. But that's where I land. It's the incarnation. Jesus comes down you know, to earth, and he's ministering and doing what he was called to do in the, in the, the gospel. and Then he moves into this whole talking about, hey, if I came to earth, listen to this, if, you, if I came to earth, I was sinless, you're sinful. I came out of heaven to be with you. I, I incarnated inside of your world, your space. Well, that says a whole lot, but I just want you to hold on to just at least one thing. If he did that, then he is saying a lot about you are different than me we're not the same. The church that I'm building, there's people in it that are not the same. You're not always gonna see the same. You're not always gonna believe the same. You all have different gifts. Be open to that. Sometimes you go through your notes, you're saying, don't say that. I'm going to cut that, but I just, so I just bypass that. Because I get fired up about some stuff. Not about you, I'm not fired about that. But when I see stuff around evangelical Christianity, I'm like, I don't get that. You want to know why your church isn't growing? Because you're not open. You think that you're King James dispensational independent, fundamental, and this is all on science, I've seen these on church science, then they have it. You wanna know why your church isn't growing? Because you separate yourself. You've moved into that realm. All right, what stops the growth? Unacceptance of people, truth, change. Number three, what stops the growth when we lose our discernment Verses 11 to 16, this is, this is really where everything goes sideways. If you could bring First Corinthians chapter 3, Perry, I appreciate that. Uh, verses 1 to 4. Up, uh, But brothers, do not address you, I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human way? This is the Corinthian church, they're in trouble, there's division everywhere. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Human, horizontal. So discernment, this is what we need as a church. A lack of discernment is a sign, listen, of immaturity. If you can't read truth and error, and if you can't read your dynamics, and you can't really address it from a biblical perspective, and you can't move in the realm of what the Holy Spirit is saying, and all of this stuff is going and swirling around you, and you can't pinpoint what's going on, your discernment is in jeopardy. And that's where the enemy wants to get us, where we can't discern what is going on. We're immature. Think about this. I mean, I'm an adult, 54 years old. Suppose I didn't get along with Joe Farabee. Now, Joe and I have a good relationship. I think. Are we still unified? Are things still good? Suppose he would to say something to me, or I, and I got offended. He, you know, he says, "Chris, you're a blankety blank blank blank." He wouldn't say that, but I'm just kind of using it as an illustration. And I went up to Joe. I said, oh, "Yeah, Joe." Pooh! <laughs> right in his face. I was just like, "Bam!" Would that be a little bit weird at 54? Now, I used to do that when I was a kid. You know, I'll get in fist fights. And, but if I did that to Joe at 54, that is a sign of immaturity. This is why I'm not a big fan of ultimate fighting and boxing and things like that. Grown people beating each other up and getting paid for it. We're gonna tell our kids that you can't fight and beat each other up. But, oh, it's okay if you got boxing gloves on or if you wanna get into a ring and beat each other up to a pulp. It doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's immaturity. I think our culture is immature because that's not what you do. I don't fight, Joe, with my fists. Well, that was happening in the Corinthian church, figuratively speaking. So Paul moves, and he talks about these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We read about it when we started. These are, these are people given to the church, and we're supposed to follow them. We're supposed to love them and esteem them and Listen to them, and, and this is what builds up the body. Ministry happens when people are unified and people are following and doing what these leaders that have been given to the church are called to do. Verse 13, if you look at it, we all attain to the unity of the faith, to a mature manhood, to the measure. We're, we're trying to get to this manhood, we're, we're trying to get to this maturity. Of course, I already quoted Paul in Corinthians. He says, Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices or strategies and schemes. Discernment is is so important. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to have a blind spot. I've had the elders tell me recently. We had a hard meeting yesterday. You'll hear about that in the family chat. Hard meeting, you know, and and we're talking about blind spots. Yes, we could all have blind spots. I've had blind spots. You know who is, other than the Holy Spirit, do you know who's the one who pinpoints all of my blind spots? Who would that be? (laughs) Yeah, it's Lisa. I'm telling you, I can't hide anything from her. She has the most incredible smell, sense of smell. She smells everything in the world at the same time. She knows exactly what's going on in 10 different people at the same time. She can read the whole lobby in one moment. That's how fast she is. It's like, whoa, this is, this is accountability right here. And if she sees a blind spot in me, she will go, Chris, you need to change that because I see something in you. Now, what's my response to that? What should it be? Yeah, for sure, hon. I'll work on that. But discernment is important. You gotta be self-aware, and we all need to be self-aware. We're talking here about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Now, I have a friend in Reading, and I met him when I first got here, and I said to him, tell me about Reading. What's it all about? And please tell me about that pagoda that's up on the hill a little bit. And I've talked about the pagoda. And I know, I've gotten the responses from you. You're saying, he is uptight. He needs to go to counseling about that pagoda. I do get uptight about that. And I get uptight about the Masons, Don't go near the Masons. You don't want that. That's Baal worship. That's you don't want that. So I was talking to my friend, and he's been here all his life. I think he was born and raised here, actually. And I said, "Tell me about that." He goes, "I don't know." Give it to me. He didn't know. See, he didn't know where I'm coming from, right? I just met him, and he was unfolding all of the demonic that he knows about that happens behind the scenes. I had a, a guy who was coming to this church a while. He didn't come a long time. He came about a month, month and a half. And he says, it's just a building, Chris. Really? It's an entry point. It's a doorway. 1908. Paul Jablisco. What was the name of the guy who put that on there? I can't remember his name. Walt? Is it Walter? I can't remember his name. Anyway, if you know who it is. Uh, he, in 1908, puts the pagoda on, and he wants to do something good. He wants to turn some tourist attraction. No, he didn't do that he opened up the city of Reading to demonic strongholds. That's what he did. Now you're saying he's charismatic. <laughs> it's not about being charismatic. It's about being discerning. Before 1908, Reading was a thriving city. I've done all the studies. I told you about that. I looked at all the articles. and I, Churches were full. The gospel's being preached. There's one church downtown, the Reformed Church. It's pretty much empty now. The church that's in it is called the Today's Church. Some of you know who I'm talking about. But back before 1908, that church was packed, 1,000 people, and they were planting churches all around the city of Reading. And I traveled to those buildings. Now they're all dead. There's nothing there. I mean, there might be a Hispanic church there that's really trying to do what they can do. Praise God for that. So 1908 comes, and this guy thinks he has a bright idea, and he's gonna put a pagoda on top of the hill. All downhill after that. All downhill. So what you're experiencing now in Reading, if you live in Reading is a result, I think, partially to that. And don't get me going about the Masons again because the Scot- Scottish Rite Cathedral, when I drive by that place, I get the EBGBs. There was a guy in our church just some time ago and he says, I'm thinking about getting involved in the Masons. He's no longer with us. Maybe he's in the Masons, I don't know. But when he said that, I was like, no. Please don't do that. Discernment. Notice that we're not supposed to be no longer children. It says that in verse 14. We're not supposed to be tossed to and fro. He's talking about doctrines here and deceitful schemes, verse 14. There's deception and it's everywhere. So look at verse 15. I'm going to bring it to a close. Verse 15. What's it say here? Rather, speaking the truth in love. And that's what I'm trying to do. I've always tried to do that. Speak the truth in love, because I love you. Paul says, I'm going to speak the truth in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. See, we have to be working properly. And proper working is discernment. There's the reasons why churches don't grow. So we have a two-year, I'm going to close now, I promise you. We have a two-year anniversary coming up. But, yeah, that's going to be hard to do with all that's going on. So stick around for the family chat. I would encourage you. So typically in the past, what we did is yard signs. And these what what we got made up. These stick in the ground. So there's two years, and it says March, and it says some of celebrating two years as a church. And in the past, we would think, you know what? Hey, let's, let's attract the, the world. Let's get their attention. So we would put, and a lot of people came to harvest because of a yard sign. I don't know if any of them are still here. Did anybody come as a result of seeing a yard sign? Awesome. And they're good. I'm not, down, I'm not, I'd say we wouldn't have bought these if I didn't believe in them. But you know what's more important for us attracting the world? Do you know what's more powerful than a yard sign? Can you guess what I'm gonna say? Yes! We could get rid of this. Seriously, we don't need that. If the church loves each other, stays unified, is determined, understands diversity, and has discernment, I'm not saying not have them. But if you want to attract the world and get their attention, they have to look at a church that loves each other. Let's go to the table of God, the communion table together. So we do this once a month, and I'm gonna lead it. Juice and bread are gonna be passed. This is perfect for us now to do this. And if there's any place in your life, they have to say, you know what, man, I have not been a pursuer of peace. I haven't been doing everything I know to do. And maybe during this you'd confess. Maybe you have judgment towards somebody else. You haven't embraced diversity. The differences in all of us. And, or maybe it's discernment. You're saying, man, I've been tricked. I have been deceived at times. Whatever that may be. Hold on to that. Make sure everybody gets one. If you're unable to repent, if you're unable to, I I think there's always an ability to do that. So I don't even know why I said that. We should all, as Christians, if we've had stuff in our life where we're trying to do something to hurt the body, there should be, God, I'm sorry. And I don't want to go to the table of God. But don't go away from the table. Repent now and just say sorry. And then take the table. Ask the Lord to cleanse you afresh and anew. Give you a brand new start, whatever it may be. So I got mine up here. Does everybody have one? Are we still passing them? We're almost done. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Holy Spirit, you gave them to him in a Roman prison. And so we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would bring this awareness, this conviction. If it's in a marriage relationship, that there's division going on, God, I pray for the man. I pray for the, the man, the leader of the home, uh, to, to make that decision right now, to make things right. So that unity will be there again. We pray, Lord, for anybody else who is here struggling with any relationship, with a father, a mother, a child, that there's division. Please do something, Lord. But for the person that's taking this, may there be repentance in the heart. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's here. Please help us. Jesus, you died on a cross for us. You shed your blood. You were bruised. You were broken. You were definitely broken. And, uh, God, we just thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, and we thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's eat together. We declare to you, Lord, that you're worthy, as we sung earlier today. You're worthy, El Elyon, God Most High. You're higher than us, you're, you're better than us, more perfect, you're faithful, you're good, you're holy, you're holy. And the only hope of us getting holy, as Edward said, to totally and completely rely on you, but certainly help us to have steely determination like he had to be godly people, to be holy. And then Holy Spirit, take over from there. Cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. A fresh cleansing and a fresh renewal, we pray. In his name we ask this. Amen. Let's drink together. Let's stand and sing him a song of praise.